Well, I'd like you to stand with me as you find Acts chapter 6. We're going to get right to it. We're continuing in this series we're calling Upside Down, how uh, the early church turned the world upside down. And um, today we are going to look, be looking at uh, leadership. So Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It says this, As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, as a backstory, let me remind you that the church is still largely just in Judea, around kind of Jerusalem and surrounding areas. It's comprised almost exclusively still of Jews who have become Christian believers, believers in Jesus the Messiah. That's kind of the backstory. Okay, so we're we're still in that situation. Uh, so the twelve, it says, uh, called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, "We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program." And so, brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. And then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. And everyone liked this idea and chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Perminus, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. We thank the Lord for His Word. Let's be seated together. Not only do you have this sort of, um, that they're all Jews, but they come from different places. So you have those sort of local Jewish people who now become believers. But what was happening and continues to happen today, in fact, I think... I think Israel is the only nation that I can think of where people deliberately try to get back to their homeland. You know, while it seems like everybody's trying to get to America or trying to leave any number of countries, Israel's the only place where people are trying to get back to their homeland, even if they were not born there, even if their families have never lived there. And the same thing was happening, including widows who would move back to this area in hopes of being buried in or around Jerusalem. And so you, you, you have this situation where you've, they're, they're Jewish people, but they don't speak Hebrew or Aramaic. They're, they're um, probably Greek-speaking. And so that's why we've got this distinction between the Hebrew and non-Hebrew Jewish, now Christian believers. Now, who would have thought that the brand new church, early church, barely passed through the wonders of Pentecost. It's growing rapidly. They're praying together. They're worshiping together. Who would have thought they'd already have problems with racial tension and playing favorites? That's hard for us to imagine. Like, come on, you guys, you're like the perfect scenario. Almost makes you think they were real people. Which they were. Real people. And where there are people, there are problems, conflicts, and disappointments. Right? That's normal. And in your own life, you also have problems, conflicts, and disappointments. It's Normal. If you go to work or school or the ball field or church, you will experience problems, conflicts, and disappointments. It's normal. It's part of the human condition. Success is not found in avoiding all problems or keeping any problems from happening. It's found in learning how to deal with, how to resolve 
our problems. There's no better way to get through problems than with what I would say, compassionate leadership. Compassionate leadership will avoid playing favorites and it builds good structures and systems uh, to put those in place so we don't keep falling into the same same issues. But it's not easy. Today is a, is a fairly big day for many of you. Um, this afternoon at 3 o'clock, uh, you will be sitting down to enjoy some of the most delicious snacks of the year. And you're going to watch commercials that will be interrupted by some football. Right? I think that's what it's about. I've heard some people complain that the officiating at, the, at, at these games always goes in favor of the Patriots. Is that true? It's the perception. Maybe we're just tired of the Patriots being in the Super Bowl. Right? But no doubt there's times in a, in a game when you're watching a, you know, a game, whether it's live or on TV, it really seems like the officiating is biased one way or the other. It's probably not intentional. I'll give them that. But it's really frustrating when that happens. Happens in hockey, even. The, the perfect sport. Even it ha- happens even there. Right? We all have favorites. We can't seem to help it for some reason. But in the family of God, there ought not to be favorites. The Apostle Paul, um, he wrote to the church in Colossae, and he wrote this to the Colossians. He says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. That's what he wrote. There's no, there's no place for favorites in this body of Christ. And yet, here we have this problem of really what is an ethnic conflict We're not even adding in Gentiles yet. We're not even adding in people from other places. This is just the Jews and they're already even in their own midst having ethnic conflict in the church. The church had started in Jerusalem with Aramaic-speaking native Jews. And they believed in Jesus, their Messiah. Jesus was also an Aramaic-speaking Jew. So I think they naturally have this bent toward, well, this is kind of the preferred way that things are done. Favorites. And any church... Okay, I'm going to step on a few toes here this morning and, and get ready now. I hope you have some closed-toed shoes because I want to say this. Any church with ethnic roots will struggle with this. It's just a fact of life, right? Churches that have their ethnicity in the name, right? Russian, whatever, Greek, whatever, Armenian, whatever, Swedish, whatever, German, whatever, Korean, whatever, right? Chinese, whatever, and I'll even say this, Mennonite, whatever, right? Will struggle with Honestly, at some point, with fully including those who do not share the same ethnic heritage. Basically this. If the name of your church has close ties to a food, it's ethnic. It's just the way it is. I'm sorry, but you can't help it. If you can have a Mennonite church and Mennonite sausage, you have a problem. Right? Hey, I grew up in this. I know what I'm talking about. So, this speaks to me. And this speaks to us. It's not meant maliciously. It's not meant to be harmful. It just happens. And so what's beautiful is we get in a situation early, early, early in the history of the church that addresses this and helps us get over it. Helps us through that. And, um, you know, so whether a church is struggling with a problem of playing favorites or whether you are battling unfair treatment at school or at work, or you have some conflict in your family or in your community, 
I think there's some insight here in these verses that's going to help us. Now, let me just add a little aside here that relates to any organization. When any organization, whether it's a business or church or family, is growing, changes need to happen in the organizational or leadership or structural level. So if we don't change along the way as the church grows, we stump the growth of that organization. So, you know, leadership that works for a church or business or school or family, whatever, leadership in a church of 100 is not going to work the same in a church of 300 or 700 or 1,000. Those adjustments and changes have to happen along the way so that it can grow. And this Acts passage illustrates that. The point here that we just read, the point is not that every church needs to have seven male deacons. That's not the point. Okay? The passage illustrates for us principles about leadership and principles about the quality of leaders in the life of the church and in the life of all of us as believers. So I want to call out three principles of problem solving from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write these down. We've got an insert in your program where you can follow along and fill in the blanks. But the first one is this, that problem solving needs godly Leadership. Problem solving needs godly leadership. Now, maybe we should add that problem solving starts with problem admitting, right? I mean, if your marriage is bumpy, for example, no amount of godly leadership is going to help you if you won't admit that there is a problem. And the same would be if you've got trouble with your parents or your friends or your kids or your church or your health or your finances. If you don't admit there's some issues, you're never going to be able to address the issues. That, that kind of that goes maybe without saying, but I'm going to say it. Anyway, so therefore it didn't go without saying, did it? Um, what I love about this passage is that the apostles, they're called the twelve. There actually were eleven of them and then they added one, but the one they added never gets mentioned again in chapter one. So I'm not sure what's up with that. But the, 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 the twelve here, they were, they were made aware of the conflict between the, the widows that were getting properly cared for and those that were not getting properly cared for. And they addressed the conflict. Working harder wasn't going to fix it. Throwing money at the problem wasn't going to fix it. They needed godly, flexible, adaptive leadership that would say, hey, boy, this is a new problem. How are we going to work on this? See, when your car breaks down, for most of us, some of you can fix your own stuff, but when your car breaks down, where do most of us go? Rusty. (laughs) Rasmussen Automotive, right? You go to the mechanic, Right? If you've got a, a, if you get really sick or you get badly injured, where do most of us go? You go to the doctor, you go to the hospital, unless you're married to a nurse. The nurse says, oh, you're not that bad. That's right, Pastor Stephen? That's true. Pastor Stephen and I are both married to nurses. We know of what we speak. Now, why do you go to a skilled expert. Is it because they're better than you? No. They're not better than you. They're human just like you are. You go to them because they're better at diagnosing and treating the problem. They're a person just like you are, but they've been trained in diagnosis and treatment. And that matters because not every problem gets treated the same way. 
So if the brakes are failing on your car, let's say, and you go get those fixed, they're like, oh, that's better. My car works a lot better now, right? Now, if your car is overheating, you don't go back to the mechanic and say, Rusty, can you change the brakes again? My car is overheating. You know, oh, that's not good. No, that's, that made it, that works. That's, that's what we did last time and it worked perfectly. See, you, you can't take the same fix for every problem. And so you need a skilled expert who's going to help you diagnose, hey, what should we do here? What's really going on? And what would be a good solution in this scenario? So in your home or school or workplace or church, not every challenge or relationship problem or situation is met with the same resolve. Godly leadership knows that and they're flexible and they listen to the Lord and they apply wisdom to the situation. So godly leaders are needed for godly solutions. Now, in the case of the church, these guys could have said, well, we've never had this problem before. We don't need to change anything. You guys just need to do whatever, harder, more, whatever. We've never had this problem before. In other words, they could have answered with the last words of every dead church, right? We've always done it this way. We've never tried that before. And good and godly leadership won't do that. It's flexible. It's adaptive. And that's what we need in our lives. Not just in our church, but even in your personal daily life. Now, here's what's really cool. The apostles didn't abdicate or discard responsibility. They handed off their responsibility. As they gave the task, they also gave away the decision-making power, what we would call authority. This is, this is leadership, right? If someone has responsibility, they have to be given authority, which is decision-making and, honestly, money-spending power to go with it. Authority, responsibility and authority go together. And that's what they did. They said, hey, you guys, here's the idea. We, as leaders, they did the right thing. They said, we diagnose the problem. We propose you do this. Now go do it. And they did it. And right now, Assuming you're kind of tracking with me, you might think, I don't know how this applies to me. Listen, you might be thinking, my problems are nothing like these problems, so this doesn't relate to me. And I'm telling you, it does. Because we all have challenges. And very often, this is the second point in your outline, if you're taking notes, write this down. Practical problems are spiritual problems. Not always, but often. Practical problems are spiritual problems. See, in the case of this Jerusalem church, this was, on the surface, just an administrative issue. Just a kind of a problem of management. The apostles had too much on their plate. They were trying to do too many things because the church had grown so much and there's just more people around. And so their administrative serving responsibilities were now keeping them from what they were meant to do, which was preaching and prayer. Well, that sounds simple. It's just administrative. Well... Don't you think that possibly the racial tension that they were feeling reflected a deeper issue of mistrust and ethnic arrogance? Right. There's mistrust. There's ethnic arrogance. There's, we're a little bit better than you are. We deserve a little more attention than you do. That's a hard issue. It's administrative breakdown, but it may well have come from a, a, a heart issue of discrimination. And whether in, again, whether in the church or in the home, business or wherever, sometimes our practical problems are spiritual problems because we're resisting God's way of doing things. I referred already that Paul said, in the church, 
There is there are no distinctions. That's God's way. But sometimes we resist doing things God's way. Yesterday we started the Bethany Leadership Institute. We had our first class yesterday. And I was chatting with uh, one of the attendees that we're talking about um, giving and tithing. And, and uh, she was referring to some good, really good teaching that Dr. David Jeremiah has been doing. And, you know, it just got me thinking about the biblical teaching that says that starts with give to the Lord the first fruits, the best of what you have you bring to him. We call that a tithe or the tenth, the first tenth, the first of my offering, whatever it is that I earn, whether I grow peaches or whether I earn dollars, the first is what I bring to the Lord. And when we do that, what I've observed and you've observed this in your own life, when we do that, the Lord has a way of blessing us and the Lord has a way of taking care of our business. Doesn't mean that there's necessarily, I'm not talking about some kind of prosperity thing, you know, give your tithe and you'll become super rich. Please don't hear me say that. What we are talking about, there's a biblical principle. When I honor the Lord with the best and first fruits of what I've been given, the Lord honors that in return by taking care of our needs. But if I resist that, if I say, no, God, I'm not going to do that. I don't have enough or I don't really believe that. Or, Well, then we're going to run into other financial problems along the way. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes our very practical problems, you think it's not a spiritual problem. I just don't have enough money. Maybe your practical problem of not enough money is a spiritual problem of not trusting the Lord as, as he instructs you to. To begin with a tithe, give the tithe, and let him supply, take care of you. Sometimes our practical problems are really a spiritual problem. So what can happen then is that the, the practical problem will get in the way of the advance of the gospel. Because that's what was happening here. And so a spiritual solution in this case was needed from spiritually astute leaders because it was a spiritual problem. Now I want to talk a little bit about the qualifications of these these leaders that were selected. And remember, we're talking about an administrative stewardship type situation and problem. And yet, look with me at verse 3. It says this, And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, I think NIV says, known to be, uh, um, the revised English Bible, I think says, men of good repute, something like that. Known uh, Seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit, and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Well-respected, full of the Spirit, and wisdom. These are the kind of people the apostles deemed worthy of serving tables at church. Worthy of serving tables at church. Well-respected, in other words, you've got a good reputation, they're full of the Spirit, and they have wisdom. Respected, Spirit-filled, wise. That's how we choose Leaders, even managers of a food program. It's not about personality or years of experience or expertise or whose turn it is. It's the great character of godliness as it's fleshed out in daily living. Now, this would be a great list to apply in your own life. If you're you know, going to give someone some responsibility in your life, someone to counsel you or mentor you or guide you or speak into you in some way, you, you want to look for someone who's respected, spirit-filled and wise. Wondering what to do in your business? Go to someone who's respected, spirit-filled, and wise. Wondering what to do in your marriage, in your education, in your recreation? Go to someone who's 
got a good reputation, who's spirit-filled and wise. Those are the kind of people that can speak into our lives. Way better guidance than you're going to get from Ellen or any other celebrity on TV, for sure. Listen to the godly people in your life. Because the outcome of the leadership decision that these guys made was honestly outstanding. You see it there in verse 7. It says, God's message, what? Continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Actually, next week is pretty exciting. We're, we're, um, we're going to get all the way to Acts 10 as we see the gospel advance across to the Gentiles. We're, we're going to sort of skip over the gospel moving from Jerusalem to the Samaritans, which is further north. And then it's going to leap right across the racial boundaries to the Gentiles. But we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Here's what I want to say. <clears throat> that compassionate leadership accelerates growth. Compassionate leadership accelerates growth. A gospel message that ignores practical needs is not the gospel. And at, and by, at the same token, a generous ministry that only meets practical needs is not also not the gospel. So what I appreciate so much about hearing from Hope Now for Youth, they're not simply saying, well, you guys, you be the church, you share the gospel, we're just going to help these guys get jobs. And we're not saying, hey, we don't really care about those guys getting jobs, they just need to get saved. What I love about that ministry and the fact that they partner with so many churches, in fact, to have the Hope Now Church, is they're saying it's both. It's practical needs and it's the gospel. They're inseparable. The gospel does not let you separate those two things. Right? A gospel message that ignores practical needs is not the gospel. A generous ministry that only meets practical needs is also not the gospel. The good news takes care of the whole person, body and soul. So, Look, a godly, compassionate leader who speaks into your life is going to challenge you and help you to resolve the conflicts and problems that hold you back from spiritual growth in your life. So, and in the church context, compassionate leaders move a church forward because they put systems in place that, you know, can quickly respond to needs and and speed up decision making and speed up care and programming because we want to respond to the needs as, as they happen. And sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we have, we're well-intentioned, but some of our systems slow us down from really being able to respond. Um, I'm going to show you three pictures here. The first picture, actually it's two pictures. This is uh, almost four, this is three and a half years ago. This is me wearing a skydiving suit. Okay, I'm getting ready. There's my son Alex. This was really for him. It was his 18th birthday, and we're going to celebrate him turning 18 by leaping out of an airplane. So there I am, all ready to go. Okay, let's go to the next one. There's me, coming down with that beautiful, I mean, in utter terror, I will tell you that. I will add that part. That's, you can't see the look on my face, but I'm like, at that moment, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm alive. Okay, I'm alive. I have a parachute above me. And let's go to the next picture. Oh, if you look carefully, you'll see that my left foot is not moving in the direction that it should because it's badly broken. At the ankle, right? I ruined this guy's record. He said, I, no one's ever broken anything while I've been teaching them skydiving. Now, why would I show you these pictures? I show you these pictures because it, it, it illustrates the point of responding when there's a problem, when there's a need. When my ankle was broken, 
We did not go to a committee as a family and say, what do you think we should do? Well, let's, let's, let's call some people and check out some options. His ankle's definitely broken. The way his foot is flopping around right now, we're quite sure of the diagnosis. Let's have a committee meeting. And then we didn't, so then we said, well, let's go to the ER, but my copay is like 500 bucks. Well, the budget says we can't really afford that, Brian. So you're just going to have to go back to work, right? No. As soon as Alex had finished his jump, so we didn't go right away, uh, we got in the van and we went to Clovis Community and got to the ER and got it patched up and got it worked on and got it fixed. Why? Because when there's a problem, you want to respond to the problem. You want to address the need as quickly as you can in as helpful a way as possible. We don't want to slow things down. And, and, and godly, compassionate leadership recognizes that, hey, if we're going to be effective with the gospel, we've got to be able to get to the needs as they are given to us, as they arrive. And in your life, you want to respond. Typically, if the Lord prompts you, you know, for example, this morning, if you were sitting and listening to our testimony from Hope Now for Youth, and the Lord is prompting something in you like, hey, we should sponsor. Hey, we should, you know, I leaned over to Becky. I said, I guess that's why the bikes didn't sell yesterday, right? When you are prompted, respond, act, do it, don't put it off. Because it's in trusting the Lord in those moments that you'll see how He supplies, how He provides. And when you sense that, like, man, I ought to, I ought to give that person a hundred bucks or five bucks or a phone call or whatever it is that the Lord's prompting, do it! Do it! That's, that's God at work in your life. That's the compassion that God is developing in you to respond in the moment. Now, not every need is yours to solve. Sometimes you'll hear about needs and say, wow, that's, that's a problem. It's not yours to fix sometimes. It, you can't fix every need. You can't solve every problem, right? A need does not necessarily mean it's yours to address, but sometimes it is. Sometimes the Lord will speak and say, you need to take care of that. You need to address that. You need to help there or whatever. That's that godly compassion that God is raising up in you. One of the things we talked about in our Leadership Institute class yesterday is that you can grow into leadership. You can develop into a leader in, in these ways. But it's like that, you know, if you think of a coin that has two sides to it, you can't separate them. You've got on one hand the hands-on care ministry of the church and you've got the others have you've got the soul-saving ministry of the Word of God and they can't be separated. And these guys, they figured out how to do that. They... Is individuals couldn't do all those things. The apostles couldn't. They said, look, we really ought to be praying and preaching and, and doing the work of the gospel, doing the work of, of the word, but we can't neglect this important practical ministry. So let's put well-respected, spirit-filled, wise people in place so we can take care of it all. And when you look at maybe the last five years of your life, you know, would you say that you've grown in your spiritual maturity? Are you maybe more in tune with God? Are you more sensitive to how the Holy Spirit's leading you and guiding you? If that's the case, I bet your care and concern for people has also grown. If you've been growing in spiritual maturity, I bet you have a softer heart for people and their needs. But if you find yourself stagnant or moving backwards spiritually, I bet your compassion quotient hasn't gone up either. 
I think those things are really tied together. And so, you know, if you gain lots of Bible knowledge, but your care and concern for people has not advanced, then you need to go back and start applying those things that you've learned. The knowledge you've acquired, apply it so that your heart is changed as well. Knowledge without application is useless. I see we've run down the clock. Um, that might be a term you'll hear this afternoon if you watch the game. I don't know. Somebody might run out the clock for the win. But listen, God's at work in your heart and He's drawing you into this. And I, I, my, my challenge is to say, look, when you've got things going on in your life, don't, don't resist. Don't, don't think you need to fix it all yourself. Reach out to some godly, compassionate people in your life. People who are well-respected, spirit-filled, and wise. And let them speak into your life. Let them bring some guidance in the very practical issues of your life. Whether it's relationships, finances, business, school, education, whatever it is. Let, let people help you with that. Because God's put people in place to do that. I should say this. Bethany Church has been blessed with an incredible deacon ministry. And uh, one thing I just completely realized I completely overlooked is that typically on a communion Sunday, we encourage you to give toward the work of our deacons. And uh, our deacons help with some very practical needs with people. They help with uh, you know, funerals. They provide for that. If you've got a, a physical need in your home or in your life, you can approach the deacons and say, hey, we're in a tough spot right now. We could use some help. Our deacons will do all that. They'll help with all those things. And if you would like to give to that ministry, you can just note that on an on a envelope and get that into one of the offering boxes at the doors or at the Connection Center. And that'll go into that deacon fund that's used to help people. Let's close with prayer. Father, we're so thankful for this, uh, this witness from your word of, of these apostles that cared about this problem knowing that it wasn't all theirs to resolve, but they cared about it and they, and they acted and they did something to resolve it. And as a result, your gospel went forward. Lord, our desire is that the gospel would advance in our city, in our homes, our schools, and our workplaces. And so we're asking that you would help us to identify those well-respected, spirit-filled, wise leaders to put them in place and give us guidance and leadership and authority and responsibility so we can move forward in the ways you'd have us move. God, we want to be a church that's active in the harvest. Lord, we ask that you would just burn that into us. Just, just raise up that concern for us, we pray. We thank you for your presence here today. And we just thank you for your blessing on us. We just trust that we will go from here in your grace and in your peace and your love for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.